0: Having anxiety does not define you. Like, I am not Serena Wolf, person with anxiety who also does these things. Like, I am who I am, and my anxiety is a very small part of who I am.
1: Welcome to Ariana Answers. I'm Dr. Ariana Brandolini, a clinical psychologist who lives in New York City. Every week, I answer a life question submitted by a listener like you. In the second season of my podcast, I want to unpack anxiety around situations in life we find ourselves in. Each episode will have two parts, one where I break down the situational anxiety we experience and the other where I have an expert in the field give us some advice. Would you like your question answered? Head over to the description of this video to submit. Now, let's jump into this week's episode. In this episode, I spoke with chef and author Serena Wolf. Serena is not only brilliantly funny and talented, but is also completely authentic and real in everything she does. I met Serena at Harvard, and after graduating, she cultivated her passion for food at Le Cordon Bleu Paris. Since then, she's put her culinary skills and sense of humor to work as a private chef, culinary instructor, recipe developer, and blogger at domesticate-me.com. She's also the best-selling author of the Do Diet Cookbook series and the co-host of Spiraling, the optimistic anxiety podcast. Serena's work has been featured on The Today Show, The Chew, The Huffington Post, Redbook, Self, Woman's Day, The New York Post, L.com, and Foodandwine.com, as well as many other media outlets. She lives in New York City with her husband/slash Muse. Ah, oh, Serena, it is so exciting to talk to you today. Thank you so much for being on
0: uh, the podcast. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's good to see you.
1: You know, I figured maybe a good place to start um, if you are willing to um, talk a little bit about uh, your anxiety journey, shall we say? You know, when when did you kind of first realize this is something that you deal with? Um, what does it kind of look like throughout your life until today?
0: So hindsight, as per usual with all things, is 2020. I can now, looking back at my childhood, recognize patterns that I now. See as anxious patterns, uh, but I didn't experience anxiety in the way that I experience it now, uh, which is much more specific, both physical and mental, like both like I have a lot of physical anxiety, I feel it in my body. The first time I had a panic attack was actually the week of my college graduation so. I was on the tee going to a Dave Matthews concert at Fenway and I mean, we don't have to get into the nitty gritty of it because sometimes when I hear somebody else describe a panic attack, I start to panic, <laughs> but I literally, long story short, thought I was dying and went to MassGen and was like, hello, I'm dying, and um, luckily I was a diehard Grey's Anatomy fan at the time and I remembered them saying like, if you say you have chest pains, which I was having, but like, if you say that they have to admit you. So I walked in and I had called, luckily I was already in therapy. I happened to be seeing a therapist just to talk about other things in my life. I've always been a huge proponent of therapy and I called him and described what was going on. I was like, I think I'm having a panic attack. He's like, you sound like you're having a panic attack, but you still need to go to the hospital because there are other possibilities here. And I'd never had a panic attack before. And I got there and I said, I think I'm having a panic attack. The receptionist didn't even look up from the desk and was like, psych is on the third floor. And I was like, mm, nope, I'm having chest pain. And she was like, great, let me get the doctor. <laughs> so after many hours there, they basically told me I had had an acute panic attack which I had suspected, you know, sent me on my way with some benzos and we're like, okay, Godspeed. And after that first panic attack, I started having panic attacks all the time. Um, And so I developed like a full-blown panic disorder in those months following my college graduation, which again, in hindsight makes perfect sense because I had spent my whole life being incredibly type A, still very type A, but give off strong type B vibes. Um, But I was super type A growing up and I funneled what I now recognize as all of my anxious energy into academics. Then I graduated from college and was like, wow, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And I have nowhere to channel this anymore because I didn't have papers to write and tests to study for. And you know, all of the other things that come with a lifetime of like throwing yourself into academics. And that to me is a very obvious reason that I started having these panic attacks. And so I spent the first year really struggling to get a handle on them. and luckily I was already in therapy. Um, I did go on an SSRI for about a year, which I am such a strong proponent of medication as well to especially while I was still figuring out I had zero management tools at that point because I had never experienced these panic attacks before. So I started working with my therapist to develop a bunch of management tools while I was Uh, on medication. And then like after about a year, when things started, I started having fewer panic attacks and being able to move through them more easily because I recognize them. And I think the scariest part about anxiety is if you've never had a panic attack before, why wouldn't you think you're dying? You know, like, I, I just, I, I think it's a very common feeling. And the more I had them, which sounds wild, you know, that the more I had them, the calmer I felt when I had one, because I was like, oh, you are having a panic attack. This has happened before. You have felt this way. It can only last so long. It's going to end soon. And doing that sort of self-talk helped get me through them. And then over the past, I mean, that was 10 years ago. So over the past decade, I've really strengthen those management tools. I've made a lot of changes to my lifestyle in all realms, like diet, exercise, my sleep habits, all of these things. And it's consistently changing the way in which I manage my anxiety and it ebbs and flows. So, you know, there were a couple of years where I had zero panic attacks and then they would come back.
1: Do you find this information helpful? Is there a certain topic you'd like us to cover? Leave us a comment and review about what you'd like to hear.
0: And I had a lot of like generalized anxiety, but I think what's great about having dealt with this for so long is I can now again I have that muscle memory of like you're either having a panic attack or you're in a generalized anxiety phase. This is temporary, and instead of fighting it like I used to, or being like why are you like this, (laughs) why can't you make it stop, (sighs) that now I'm just like "Eh, this is just kind of a part of who I am and. I don't anticipate it ever being completely gone from my life. And I'm completely at peace with that now because as I'm sure we'll talk about, there are pluses and minuses to being an anxious person in this world.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's such a, that's such a common story of a lot of people, just even post-college graduation. Actually, a lot of people in my practice are kind of coming out of college into adulting. And that huge transition is just, you know, it can be so overwhelming. And um, so it's pretty amazing that while that was all going on, um, you know, you actually decided to to pursue different things, you know. I mean, because listen, you could have Said okay, like I know that if I go to law school, then I'll become a lawyer and I'll be successful, and it's sort of a structure. Um, but instead, you chose to do something that <laughs> not that at all, despite having panic attacks and panic disorders. So, um, how tell me how that all happened? Like how how did you do that despite all that you were going through?
0: I mean. I was constantly, first of all, asking myself that, I'm like, why are you doing this to yourself? Why don't you just pick a traditional career path and go with it? But in a weird way, I'm like, want to feel like you always have homework to do, work for yourself. And I think that's, that's kind of also been a weird coping mechanism for me. But I think what's really wild about, I'm not a big fate person. But I do think that there are interesting, I don't know, confluences of events and, and, you know, odd things that kind of fall into place. And I developed anxiety right before I went to Cordon Bleu. And I, my Cordon Bleu experience was meant to be a three month basic program before I came home and got, you know, started my real adult life, so to speak. And I had no prior culinary experience. Nobody in my family cooks. I had no desire to be a chef. And I really just thought I would have fun and pick up this life skill. I minored in French, I'd be living in Paris. It was this whole dream scenario. And then I got to port au and was like, wow. This is not what I imagined. This is very intense, <laughs> and, and I really hated it at first. And I wanted to come home. And I was like, "This is a huge mistake." And again, I was living in a new city with zero friends. I thought I spoke the language, and it turns out I did not really. Uh, and I was in school for something that I just had no no prior experience in, and I was bad. Like for the first time, I was kind of overwhelmed. and was like, am I bad at this? Which was a weird feeling. And there was a lot, everybody else there had a background, either wanted to be a chef, had already been, you know, in a restaurant kitchen for years and years, or this was their lifelong dream. And it was very jarring. But then several, I mean, several months in, I wish I could pinpoint it, but I realized in the actual practical classes, how at least how Cordon Bleu worked was you would watch a three hour demonstration where the chef would demonstrate various techniques and recipes, and then you would execute them in the practical lesson. And I realized halfway through one of those lessons, I was like, wow, I feel very calm. And I think it was, it was really quiet in there. And you were, you were had a time limit to execute these dishes, which you were being graded in. So I essentially put my back, myself back in a high stress situation. And I loved, being stressed out. It's something I'm also working on in therapy. I love being stressed out because I can't be anxious when I'm stressed. There's like not enough room in my brain. Wow. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I felt very calm in the kitchen and I realized that I did actually have a knack for it. And I think naturally, when you're good at something, you tend to start to like it more. But I ended up signing on and doing the full diploma program and afterwards I really I mean I really flailed for a lot of years. I mean I made it work and it got me to where I am now but I am my path has been so twisted and I came home I was hosting in a restaurant, I was going to people's apartments and teaching like them how to cook, you know, really basic dinners. I was working on my blog. I eventually became a private chef for some guys on the New York Giants. I pitched, I wrote a book proposal, which I pitched, got far down the line, got rejected, crumbled after that. Didn't write my next book proposal for the Dude Diet for two more years. Um, And it just, I think I am somebody who is really good at brushing their shoulders off and trying again. (laughs) I think it's very much, I think it's partially how I was raised that like, get back on the horse mentality. But I also think some of the best advice that I was ever given was that it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. And I do think there's this notion being perpetuated these days, online by a younger generation that like, if you don't make it in your twenties, you're never going to make it. But I find that so absurd because when I look at the older generation and look at like my parents, most of them didn't hit their strides until their forties. And nobody thought that was odd. And also I think that was partially because there wasn't the constant comparison of being able to follow a million people's lives on social media. But I just wanted to sort of own that and be like, look, I am not crushing it right now. And that's okay. <laughs> like, I can't imagine that, you know, just like Rome wasn't built in the day. I'm like, I had these very, and I still have them, these like very high expectations for myself and very big goals and dreams, but they're not specific. It's sort of like the, you know, abstract painting. Like I sort of have an inkling of where I want to go, but it's not fully sketched out. And I like that because I can keep erasing things if I don't like them and just be like, well, well, we'll move on from here. And throughout all of that, like my anxiety got really bad again, like right when I was working on my first book. And I think it was primarily triggered by the fact that I didn't know what I was doing. And the anxiety that comes for me, like most of my anxiety pools in uncertainty and the unknown. And I have a lot of imposter syndrome tendencies. So when I was working on this book, I just didn't know how to do anything. I was like, how do I find a food photographer? You know, who makes the index? Like, how do I market this like do I do do I make a book tour for myself how do I do that do I hire a public? like all of these things I just I didn't know anything and I had to figure it all out and I think what's calmed my anxiety and to anybody listening who feels all this anxiety about being like I don't know how to do anything because that's literally how I felt I would wake up in the morning and being like I don't know how to do my job essentially and it was really scary But I think you don't know what you don't know. And the only way to learn is by doing. And after my first book, my second book was just as stressful in that it's it's just a lot of work to get done. But I didn't have the same anxiety because just like now I can talk myself through a panic attack on those days where I would be like, the what if cycle would start, like, what if I can't figure this out? What if nobody buys this book? I never get a new book deal. Like the spiraling thoughts that like really take you south quickly. I was like, well, maybe nobody will buy this book, but like you have done this before and you can do it again. And I, I think about that in every single thing that I do now. And I think that it's really calmed my anxiety to just be like every single thing that you've done from starting the blog, to my first private chef gig, to writing my first book, to teaching my first cooking class. Like I didn't know how to do any of those things until I did them. And there were so many other things like digital series, my YouTube channel that just did not work. They were just failures and nothing bad happened. Like nobody watched my YouTube videos and nothing bad happened <laughs> so. I love that. What a great and you know, I
1: love that you're talking about this because this is something I talk about in sort of the the sister episode to, to our conversation is the power of our thought life, right? And what we actually tell ourselves um, when we come up against this kind of stuff. Right. And so um I love how you talk about how you, you know, when you have like the what if this and what if that, you're like, well, if that happens what's the worst that can happen, right? You actually take a beat to talk to yourself, to kind of reorient your thoughts to, is this true and is this helpful? Is there actually another more true and more helpful way of looking at this? Um, and, you know, it sounds like because of your experience and you've been it kind of, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like maybe it's become more natural to you that now you kind of know how to do it. But when you were first starting out, right? And you were like, I don't know what I don't know. Like, how did you, you know, was that part of the process when you were like, okay, I need to teach a cooking class. And I've never done one before, right? A lot of people with anxiety, I think all of us, to be honest, but especially if you're dealing with kind of clinical anxiety, there are these thoughts that are screaming in your mind saying, well, there's no point. There's no point because you can't do it and you can't do it perfectly. So what's the point, right? So how did you kind of was that part of your experience and how did you kind of push through that into, into actually into courage and actually doing that stuff?
0: So actually really interestingly, when I started teaching these cooking classes a little over a year ago, I had a panic attack in, funnily enough, not in my first class, but my second class. And again, been having panic attacks for over a decade. So like I was able to sort of like Keep talking, even though I was panicking, and it eventually passed. But I was sort of—I—I I do think the like human brain is so impressive in that I was literally talking myself through my panic attack silently while I was like, "You can use canned tomatoes for this." I'm like trying to take deep breaths <laughs> and get through it. But uh, the self-talk element has been something that I embraced pretty early on thanks to my therapist I felt really silly doing it and I would do it silently like I wouldn't actually say anything out loud I would just be in my head like it was mostly to talk myself through panic attacks but then occasionally it would be to sort of stop a spiraling thought pattern like the what if scenario I'd be like shut it down, the seven four, whatever. But with that, you know, early teaching experience, after that first class, I was like, oh dear God, like I don't know if I want to keep teaching these. Like, what if I just keep having panic attacks? And it like became that old cycle of, I mean, yeah. the of the panic disorder, just being afraid of the next panic attack and being like, maybe I shouldn't do this because I might keep having panic attacks. And I ended up, so I do have certain things, like I like to like put my legs up the wall for a few minutes when I'm feeling super anxious. I don't yes, there are obviously physiological reasons why it should be calming, but I'm a ritual person. So sometimes just doing it and I'm like it's worked before, it'll work this time. So like I started putting my legs up for like 5 minutes before the class started and listening to like a guided I don't I don't formally meditate. And when I listen to guided meditations, I do other things like I don't do what they're telling me to do, like sit down and, and close my eyes and whatever. I'm like, I'm like making toast and just like listening to the soothing. I love it. But, yeah. but I started listening to that while I was setting up for class. And then my therapist actually was like, I know, like you talk to yourself in your head. but he was- To
1: help you navigate anxiety and become more mindful, I've created a 20 page workbook for you completely free. You'll find journal prompts, exercises, and a wealth of information on how you can master anxiety and live a better life. Click the link in the description to download.
0: It's like, you will feel ridiculous, but I want you to stand in front of the mirror before your class and like smile really big and be like, you're going to crush this. Yeah. And I started doing that. Like, I don't know eight months ago or something. I do it every time before class. Now I like find a mirror and I smile aggressively like a clown. And I'm like, you're going to crush. It's going to be amazing. Everyone's going to love it. You're going to have fun. And like, I have like a like 10 second, like pump up spiel and it helps. It helps. And like, I stopped having panic I, I actually weirdly had one again recently in a class. And like for me, it's really interesting because I do get asked that a lot by other people with anxiety. They're like, how do you do TV segments and teach classes if you have anxiety? And that's something that really I struggle with in talking about anxiety is the comparison of my anxiety with other people's. I find the comparison trap in general very dangerous and I think it's just I mean, exacerbated I mean. by our life online. But I feel it's particularly dangerous with our mental health because like nobody's anxiety is like better type or worse type than another person. And like, for me, they're like, I don't understand how you can do it, but it's like public speaking and being on camera has never been a trigger for me, but you get me in a scenario with an awkward hug, (laughs) handshake that will shit will haunt me for years. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but I do think it's really I, I I'm trying to think of the first really scary thing I did, because now when it comes to doing something new, I've done so many new things at this stage in my career. Not all of them have worked that I am able to push through that. What if this is a total fa- failure? Because I'm like, well, you've had many total failures. And again, they didn't matter. So like, those worst case scenarios, my whole thing is like, unless a worst case scenario harms somebody else, I just have to let it go. Because especially in a creative field, if you don't try, A, you're just never going to get anything. Also, I firmly believe, and it's something I learned the hard way, because I think as an anxious person, I mean, I think a lot of anxious people, and I'm curious to know if you feel this way, but like, I think a lot of anxious people are people pleasers and absolutely agree. Yeah. So I spent a lot of the early years of my career putting myself in a box that I made for myself. I pretended other people made it for me. I was like, they want this for me. They want me to be this way. But nobody ever said that I created that narrative in my head. And I was like, I have to be this person. And the second I let go of other people's expectations for me, my generalized anxiety decreased exponentially the second i was like look i am who i am like i'm not going to change it i am you know constantly working on myself to be better in certain areas but like my my core personality and values and things that are important to me like that's just who i am and the the more I can align what I'm doing publicly with the ways that I feel personally, the better I sleep at night. So if somebody doesn't like that, I, you know, make jokes on my, like inappropriate jokes during my cooking classes, or if somebody doesn't like that I cook with dairy, like whatever these really silly things are, because I've learned having sort of a public facing career that you're just going to anger people living your life. Like, that's just a fact. And I think that actually applies to everybody. It's like, you just, there's no way to force everyone to like you. And I am pretending like I'm super evolved and don't care what anybody thinks of me, which is a total lie, (laughs) but, but I've gotten better at releasing myself from the expectations, which are of others, which are often, my own projections. like They're not real things. And so that to me has helped me take risks without as much anxiety, just remove the expectation from it. Just be like, this is a cool thing. If it goes terribly, I'll learn something from it and I'll try something else. I love that. And yeah, I love that
1: piece of just sort of and it sounds like that's something that with rehearsal and with kind of just stepping out and doing it, it started to actually drop from like your head like into your heart as like an actual like oh this is this is actually true to who I am and um and you know even that acceptance piece, right when you're like, this is just the way it is, and this is who I am, and I can try to live for other people and I'm just gonna t- tie myself in knots and panic my way through life as opposed to actually coming to that place. And so I think you even mentioned, um, you know, and I I know we we chatted a little bit about this, about when you're like, I don't really think I, you know, I don't necessarily want to get rid of my anxiety or actually I can, you know, this is not something that I'm constantly trying to um, squash or get rid of. And so can you speak a little bit to, you know, what do you mean by that, that you actually don't necessarily want to get rid of your anxiety?
0: So (laughs) I am very grateful for my anxiety in a few different ways. First, I think it just made me a softer, more empathetic human. Um, I have always, I mean, you knew me in college. It's not that I was a different person. I think I was just like a lot like harder in the sense that like, I was very protective. I like my parents got divorced in high school. I loved to party. I had like a cutting sense of humor. It was I, and I think a lot of it was a def- like just an emotional defense mechanism. And when I developed anxiety, it just made me realize that you know the thing that everybody's are like always saying, like we're all dealing with something that nobody else can see, and also so many people deal with anxiety it, it blows my mind that like if i even casually mention anything related people are like ooh i am anxious too <laughs> i just think and i think anxious people are the best kinds of people if i'm being honest like i i also think like how do you live in the world today with no anxiety just the type of world we live in is anxiety inducing but along with sort of the empathy and softening side of things. My anxiety has always been very motivational. And like I said before, I don't think I recognized that I had anxious tendencies as a child, but I do think that it has, my parents always say, because both of them are very smart, but like did very badly in school and just never cared about academics. And I was the type who would come home like in tears if I got a 95 instead of a hundred. And they were like, how did we make you like, we love you. I don't care if you get bad. Like, you know, like we're very proud that you got a 95. Like we wouldn't care if you got an 85 or even a 75, like what is happening? And they're always like, why do you put all this pressure on yourself? And I think that was my anxiety. So I really don't want to live my life putting a ton of pressure on myself but a little bit of pressure is important and like people are like well how do you not just like watch tv all day like you have no boss and like how do you like produce things with no deadline and all this stuff and it's like that's partially my anxiety (laughs) it really motivates me to work hard and the you know I don't want to get rid of it completely because then I would never get anything done. I always just want it to be at a point where it is sort of keeping me on my toes, but not negatively impacting my day-to-day life experience.
1: Yeah. And there's actually, so there's, I always mispronounce this name. I don't even know if I'm saying it correctly, but it's like, it's called the Yerkes-Dodson, um, law of like optimal anxiety and so they actually talk about how anxiety is really adaptive you know we actually need it if you know before i'm sure before you have a speaking engagement or before an athlete is about to perform you have adrenaline that pumps through your body and it actually focuses you it kind of like Aligns you to what you're going to do and it actually helps you perform better. The trouble is if we have too little or if we have too much. And so I love how, you know, you're actually, sounds like you're learning how to harness it into that motivating space. And even if you're feeling it, rather than saying, like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling anxious, you're saying, like, I'm feeling like a rush and I can, and this is you, I can use this to propel me to
0: where I want to go. Yeah, exactly. And I also don't, feel and you probably know this for sure but like I don't think you can cure anxiety like people are just like let's just like they're like why don't you just you know if you have the you know occasional panic attack or if you have generalized anxiety like why don't you just take medication and make it go away and I'm like that's not really how it works yeah and also I think what scares a lot of people myself included when I sort of Went through a really good phase a couple years after I developed anxiety where I had really very, very, very little anxiety for a long time. And then I started having panic attacks again for a bit. And I was like, wait a second. Like, I thought I was done with this thing. And just realizing that it comes and goes, it ebbs and flows. We always come out the other side. And being flexible too with like how I manage my anxiety has been really helpful because I think as somebody who loves routine, I'd be like, okay, well, I do these things and then my anxiety is better. But then sometimes one of the things stops working and you're like, what is happening? And I just have to try something new. And I was really frustrated by that, obviously, because it's really annoying when one of your things stops working. But... I just kind of keep, like, tweaking the cocktail recipe and being like, well, like, this is not working as much anymore, so I'm going to try this. Like, I used to do – I used to go to hot yoga every morning because it was, like, really calming to me to, like, get out of bed and then be in this hot room and do this – like – if you tried to get me, I think I would die in the high
1: <laughs> I tried it once, and I was like, "Nope, nope,
0: never." But it, so I remember too, like one, like one day after, like a year and a half, I was in there, and I just like was like, "It's too hot in here," and I'm feeling really anxious and like claustrophobic. And I was like, "This used to be your sort of happy, calm place, and now it's not anymore." So, oh well, like moving on. <laughs> pivot, pivot, right? Yeah, pivot. Um,
1: and so there's so many more questions I want to ask you. There's so many more things, but in kind of, if you feel like, you know, for anybody who's listening, who is struggles with anxiety, um, who feels like their anxiety is kind of getting in the way of, them taking risks of pursuing purpose of um, yeah, just pursuing their dreams. Um, you know, is there, you know, any last thoughts or any one thing I know there's probably not one thing, but anything that you feel like that maybe we haven't talked about that you kind of want people to know um, just given your process.
0: The only thing, and we have touched on this many times, but I haven't said it explicitly. I think we've been sort of sp- Boon fed this belief that is changing. But a lot of us grew up with the notion that if you have any sort of mental illness, anxiety, depression, et cetera, that you cannot live a very full, happy, successful life. And I just feel like for me and for anybody out there who still believed that, let that shit go. Like being anxious and having a very full, happy, successful life are not mutually exclusive. And also...
1: Would you like me to read your letter? Click on the description of this video to submit your question.
0: Having anxiety does not define you. Like, I am not Serena Wolf, person with anxiety who also does these things. Like, I am who I am, and my anxiety is a very small part of who I am. And again, because it's so common, I think that one thing standing in the way of like pursuing purpose, et cetera, is this feeling that anxiety gives you that like guilt and shame. And for me, guilt and shame are big anxiety triggers, but like guilt and shame and the feeling that there's something wrong with you and you're not good enough. And because you can't control your anxiety you are in some way a failure and therefore will not be able to succeed in other realms. And I just think that that is a false narrative. And having those, even those little smiley pep talks in the mirror, if you can let go of that belief that a lot of us hold on to, that like, if you're anxious, you can't go as far as you'd like to go, like, says who? You know? The only person telling ourselves, like we're the ones telling ourselves that. So I think just trying to let go of that, which is a practice, is easier said than done, is how you get out of your own way so that you can go after the things that you want
1: wise words from an amazing human serena you are so fantastic thank you for all the wisdom you shared with us today um and your journey and being so open and vulnerable it is just such a delight and i know it's going to help so many people um and so thank you again um and uh hope to have you back soon to keep going on this conversation as i said i have so many more things that i want to ask you about um but That's it for now. So um, where can people connect with you, find you, um, if they want to
0: kind of learn more about what you do? They can find me on my website, which is domesticate-me.com, where there's lots of recipes, backstory, links to my cooking classes, et cetera. I am also on Instagram where I spend way too much time at Serena G. Wolf. If you want to come hang out with me there Um, and my books, The Dude Diet and The Dude Diet Dinner Time are available wherever books are sold.
1: That is fantastic. And so we're also going to include um, all of that information in the description of this episode um, so that people can check you out because it is so worth it. Everybody go look at Serena. She makes delicious things and teaches you how to do them too. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much again.